Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me. I am Rick Thomas, and we're doing Life Over Coffee. A church member sent me an email because they are struggling with what she called a lack of community in her local church. This lady is not an outlier or an anomaly. She is one in a long list of emailers talking about this problem within the local church. And when you talk about a lack of community, there are a dozen different angles where you could approach this problem, and I won't be able to do that in this episode. And so in this episode, number 446, I am only going to deal with one aspect to a lack of community in a local church, and that is the church's leaders, the leadership of the church. Now, this episode is going to be dicey, and so I want to... I want to carefully navigate through what I want to share with you because the church leadership is the most critical aspect of all when talking about the spiritual condition of its members. And so I want to be kind. I I want to be uh, gracious, but I don't want to compromise. And so I don't want to be rude or unkind, but I want to speak clearly and humbly. But I recognize that I am walking on a a razor's edge because we're talking about church leaders. If you want to read the show notes to what I'm presenting to you, please go to episode 446. It's titled, My Church Doesn't Do Community Well and I am struggling. Now, that's what the lady wrote in, and we we tackle every problem when it comes to the local church, the family, from a Christocentric, bibliocentric perspective, our own personal lives. I have never been one to skirt around issues. I, I, I don't like you know, hiding things or ignoring the pink elephants in the room. And so I've always been a clear and direct person. And even when it comes to complicated matters where there can be controversy and sensitivities, and I do want to do this well. And and that's why I want to give you a preface before I even begin. In fact, I'm, I'm going to call this a warning. And I'm going to appeal to some of you that you're just going to have to guard your hearts as I talk about a lack of community in a local church, specifically addressing the leadership of that local of a local church. And so, if you are a person that's teetering on the verge of church cynicism because you have been hurt or you've had bad experiences with leadership and local churches, or maybe you have already fallen into the abyss of the cynics, maybe it would be best if you just set this one out, if you just moved on to something else. Cut the podcast off. Turn the video off because this might not be the best season for you to talk about something that could trigger you. And so again, I want to care for you, and I know that every season is not the perfect time to deal with sensitive issues, and this might not be the perfect season for you. But then again, on the other side of the coin, there are those that can celebrate what I am going to say. Some of you will want to talk to your pastors, thanking them specifically for how they lead their lives, how they lead their wives, how they lead their families and how they lead the church. Now, if you're on this side of the equation, then I just appeal to you to contact your pastors today. Send them an email, a text message this Sunday. Talk to them as you gather in your local church. Let them know your appreciation. 
Don't assume, don't assume that other people will do this. I call this the bystander effect. That's not something that I made up. It's, it's actually a term that means that when there's a crowd of people looking or thinking about one thing, you can't assume that somebody else is going to take the lead and be responsible. That's the bystander effect. And what happens is nobody does it. So don't assume that everyone or somebody is going to thank your pastor for pastoring well. You be that person. Honor your leaders. If they're doing it well, celebrate what God is doing in their lives by letting them know. And so there is my warning and there's my celebration. If you can be triggered, maybe you just need to move on. This is not the season to talk about the failure of church leadership. But if your pastors are hitting it out of the park or they're getting base hits from time to time. Maybe you want to go and, and acknowledge that and appreciate them and let them know uh, your respect and appreciation for what they are doing. Now, this is episode 446, again, titled, My Church Doesn't Do Community Well, and I Am Struggling. All right, so let's get into it, and I want to talk about the problem first. We live in a preaching-centered world, primarily popularized by a plethora of social media platforms where we can listen to the best preachers. Because of the advent of social media and, and the mobile device and, and all of these platforms like Facebook and YouTube, we can access not just today's best preachers, but we can access yesteryear's best preachers too. And so right at our fingertips, we can hear the best preachers in the world. Now, some of these best preachers are no longer qualified for ministry, and we have all heard the stories because of character-related issues that pre-existed long before their sins ever became public. And this is the hidden danger with people that we popularize, is that we don't know them. We don't know who they are, and they can have character-related issues that are underneath the surface that are not going to be manifest until some point way on down the line, long after they have been popularized, that some public sin comes out. But that public sin just didn't happen. It just didn't appear ex nihilo. No, it was connected to a character maybe several character flaws that have been there possibly in many times for decades. And that's why it is essential uh, that we know who our leaders are, uh, that we have an an idea of who they are, not just on the behavioral popularized level, but at the heart level too. Doing community well in a local church is every person's challenge. It's your challenge it's mine. I would not want to heap the responsibility in totality on the leaders. And, and then I set this one out as though I don't have any responsibility at all to do community well. In fact, when this lady wrote in and talked about the, the lack of uh, vibrant koinonia, community life in her local church, it was a time for me to pause and ask, am I part of the problem or am I part of the solution? 
And even though I am addressing the leaderships of the church because they are the point of the spear, they are the ones that lead us into what we should be. They're the ones that teach us. We follow them as they follow Christ. And that is what I'm talking about here in episode 446. But I wouldn't want any of us to look at this or listen to this as though they are spectating. Doing community well in a local church is every person's challenge. But our leaders are the pace setters. They are the examples. They are the imitators, the modelers of what the church should be. Ephesians 5.1 says, As beloved children imitate God. I mentioned already 1 Corinthians 11.1, Follow me as I follow Christ. In Philippians 4.9, Paul said that everything that you heard and learned and seen and received from me, I want you to do those things. He's saying, I want you to examine my life and then imitate it. And then he finishes by saying that if you do follow me as I follow Christ, the, the, the peace of God will be with you. And so our pastors are set before us. We elect them. We nominate them. We vote on them. We ask them to, to be up front, in charge. We want to submit to you. You are part of that hierarchical structure, and we come up under that. And we want to follow your leadership. Therefore, there is an expectation that you not only lead, but you lead well. Now, when I say that, I'm not saying that our leaders will be perfect in, in the practice of imitating Jesus. If you have the bar that high as perfection, that they cannot wobble, they cannot fail, they cannot make mistakes, well, then I would, I would appeal to you to adjust the bar down just a little bit. I am not talking about the perfection of imitation here, the perfection of imitating Christ, but there should be a maturing presence. There should be a discernible presence of the Christ life in them that you can look at them. And I'll talk a little bit later about what to look for, but you should be able to look at them and see a maturing presence of the Christ life in them. And that is absolutely non-negotiable. Now, as you assess your pastors, and I would encourage you to do this in a charitable way. I mean, wouldn't you do this? Let me give you an analogy. If you're going to buy anything, let's say you're going to buy a house, you're going to buy a car, you're going to kick the tires, you're going to assess it charitably. But and when you're going to buy a house, you're going to have a house inspector to come and inspect this house, and you hope that he doesn't want that he doesn't miss anything because you're going to make a significant investment, and you don't want to get ripped off. That makes sense to us. Well, when it comes to the local church, we want to make an assessment of the leadership because we are making an investment in that local church. We are volunteering ourselves to submit to those individuals. And so is it, is it wrong to assess them? It would be unwise not to assess them. It would be unwise to judge them. It would be unwise to be critical of them, but it would be very wise to assess them because they are the people that you're hitching your wagon to in the local church. And so when you make these assessments, 
what you really want to assess is who they are outside of the public space. That was the problem that I presented earlier. We know all of the great preachers, and we listen to them preach, and we know their public ministry, but we don't know their private lives. And then we find out years later as their sin is made publicly, and you begin to trace the breadcrumbs back to point of origin, and you see that there were character, dynamic character flaws in their lives that you did not know. Now, I know that it's impossible to make those kinds of assessments with people that you meet and listen to in cyberspace, but if you are part of a local church, you do want to, as much as is reasonable, as much as is appropriate, you want to get to know your leadership. Because Paul told us that we have a former manner of life. I have a former manner of life that I have brought into my Christian experience. I am not perfect. And if you're going to follow me as I follow Christ, you need to know what kind of person I am. And same goes for pastors. Paul said it this way, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And so all of us have that kind of life. That's why we're not perfect yet, but there should be a, a maturing presence of the Christ life as we are moving in that transition from putting off to renewing our minds to putting on a new person. And so you want to examine that. In Genesis chapter 3, we see the fall of humanity. We see the, the genesis of that former manner of life. And so in 3.7, it says this, that the eyes of both Adam and Eve were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And that is our temptation, spiritually speaking. Our temptation is to hide behind our fig leaves because we all struggle as Adam people. We have Adamic tendencies. Some of those tendencies are things like shame and, and guilt and fear and self-reliance. This is common to all of us, and your pastors are not immune to that. They struggle with shame and guilt and fear and self-reliance. They have a former manner of life. We don't want to so elevate our leaders as though they are not capable of sinning at all. Uh, th that would be setting them up for failure and putting the, the church in a precarious position that really could be a disaster. I think sometimes when we see our leaders, we exalt them so much in our minds as though they have it they have it all together, and they don't have common demand problems. Well, that's not true. They do have common demand problems. I see this in counseling all the time when the struggling person comes in and they look at me and they assume I have it together because I'm the counselor. I try to diffuse that. Uh, I try to make sure that we level the play playing field because I know that some people have an exalted view, and it's just not true. I have struggles with shame and guilt and fear and self-reliance, among other things. And I want people speaking into my life who have the courage and grace to do that because I need that kind of care. I do not need to be exalted, and neither does a pastor. And so because our pastors are leaders, they and their wives represent what the church should be. We must follow, we must submit to them as they follow and they submit to Christ. And so there's that hierarchical structure. 
You have God Almighty here within a church leadership. You have the pastor, and he is following and submitting to God, and we follow and submit to him. That is how a church works. It's an excellent model. Therefore, we want to make sure that they are living out the gospel practically speaking, and that has to precede their teaching of the gospel. Sometimes all we want is a great teacher. As long as he can teach me the word, I, I, I can just divorce myself from whatever the realities of his character may be. Well, if he's your pastor in your local church, you can't do that. Everybody can't do that. We, we want to care for this man. There are too many failures in the local church among leadership because they don't receive the proper care. Now, that could be our problem because we're not intrusive enough. It could be their problem because they are hiding. I am not putting the blame on anyone specifically, but I'm saying that collectively it is an issue and we have to say the quiet part aloud that we need to understand, are our pastors, are they an actual representative of the thing that they are teaching us to become? Because if they are not modeling the very gospel that they are teaching us, be sure your sin will find you out. At some point, this is going to collapse. The infrastructure of their lives is just going to suck them into it, and then everything will become dysfunctional. And so the modeling of the gospel must precede the teaching of the gospel, or we will marginalize the very gospel that we teach. Therefore, with charity and with appropriateness, with the highest affection for our leaders, with motives that are as pure as they can possibly be, we want to make leadership assessments of those who lead us. Now, there are many ways to do this. In Galatians 5, we see the fruit of the Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 13, we call it the love chapter. There are several indicators there of what love looks like. In pastoral ministry, typically we go over the first over to 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 7, where we see 15 different indicators of what a pastor should be. Let me share that passage with you. 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 7, it goes like this. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer, and then here's the list. This is the assessment. And this also uh, gives proof. It affirms why we want to make that assessment. There it is, right there in Scripture. And so, we, again, we, we don't want to divorce this assessment from the very person who is leading us. No, we want to conflate them. Here you are, and here's the assessment. Let's put them together, and let's see how you're doing. This is what we do. This is what we must do. And so Paul said, one, he must be above reproach, must be the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Not a drunkard, not, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone doesn't know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil." 
Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Now, when you read that list, unfortunately, too many people put the big data point on his ability to preach. That is the thing. Can he preach? I remember talking to a a well-known conference speaker a number of years ago, someone that you would know. Well, someone that you would know. And he asked me, he said, why do you attend your church? And I said, because of the preaching. And if you ask virtually anybody in our church, they would say because of the preaching. That is a common default in many churches. And he must be apt to teach. But in Paul's assessment here that he was given to Timothy, there were 15. There were 15 assessment points and 14 of those assessment elements in addition to preaching. But 14 of them relate to the man's character and the man's family. That's why it's vital that we know the man who is leading us. When I do leadership assessment, typically if I'm assessing a leader for some kind of leadership role, there is a sequence of people that I want to assess. And the first one, if the leader is married, I want to assess his wife. And then I want to assess his children if he has any children. Not, not to critique them, not to be harsh or unkind to them. That, that's not the point at all. And I don't want you to hear that. When we do site visits for our mastermind students, I have visited many of our students throughout the years that we've been running our all-online mastermind program, teaching people how to do biblical counseling. We'll make site visits. And one of the things that I am, I want to see how they live in the milieu, in the context of their lives. Because you can present, your, you can answer all the questions in our mastermind program. Uh, you can score well on all the tests that we have and all the interactions that we have, but that's in cyberspace. That's not real space. And so when we do site visits, I want to meet these potential leaders and part of that assessment, not to be harsh, not to be unkind, and not to be critical of their wives or their children if I'm assessing a man. But I do this because the wife and the children have been affected by him more than any other people in the entire world. I mean, the most objective data point in a pastor's life as far as his community skill set is concerned is how he relates to his wife, how he relates to his children. Who knows him better than anyone else? His wife. Who has been affected more by him than anyone else? His wife. His wife becomes exhibit A to what this man can do from a discipleship perspective. There is no way of hiding that if you spend time with them and then the children come next. Now, as far as the assessment goes, there, finally you assess the husband. But I want to assess the wife in a non-harsh, non-critical way because really I'm assessing the skill of the husband. And then you assess the children. How well has he been leading them? And then you assess him. The word husband is an old word, and it comes from husbandman. And you'll see that word in the King James Bible. I love it. Husbandman literally means a tiller of the soil. What we would say today is that a husbandman is a, is a gardener. Uh, my 
wife, Lucia, has a square foot garden in our, our backyard that she has had for a couple of decades now. She loves that. That is her therapy. She loves messing with plants and she does it very well. And when she's really working the garden, we travel a lot, and so it's not always an option at this season of our life. But when we're at home more, if you were to walk out and look at her uh, square foot gardening, I mean, you, you wouldn't have to know her. You wouldn't have to know who was in charge of it. You wouldn't have to know anything other than just looking at the garden. And if you looked at the garden, you would say, wow, I don't know who tends this garden, but they know what they're doing. I don't know who takes care of this square foot garden, but they have skill and it is obvious as I assess the garden. A pastor's wife has received more of his relational care, communication skill, restorative help, and entire Christian experience than any other human. And if the church is not growing in community, then we want to start at the trailhead. And the trailhead is the pastor. And so you make these assessments. Going back to my analogy, if you're going to buy a house, you want an inspector. This is not a harsh or an unkind thing to do. It can be. No doubt it can be. There are people, there are Christians who are just unkind. They are mean-spirited. They are very critical of the local church and pastors. I'm not talking about or even to that group. I don't know what the damage has been to them. I don't know how they got to the place that they are. But in a normal world with kind, Christ-like Christians, if we can't make these assessments about other people, then there is definitely something wrong. Now, here's a short list of reciprocal community qualities between a good husband and a good pastor and his wife. And I say reciprocal because that's how the relationship should be. That's what you want to see in your local church, reciprocal relationships. And so we're looking at the trailhead. We're looking at, at the, the two people who are leading reciprocality in Koinonia. And so I would ask questions like, do they like each other? Not just the public side that you see, but do you know if they are warm and kind and gentle? They're always repenting to each other. They have affectionate love for each other when they are alone. You can get a vibe from a couple by being with them. And I have been with pastors and wives where you get a bad vibe from them and your heart just breaks because you know uh, that that's going to leach out into the church because whoever we are, it is going to have effect on those who are around us. And if you are a pastor and you're not gentle to your wife, you're not warm and kind to your wife, you don't have affectionate love for your wife, you're not repenting to each other, you may be the greatest preacher in the world, but you can't just hold it together forever or you're just going to have an intellectual, knowledge-centered church, but yet the relationship is, is dry, flat, empty, void. D does the pastor and his wife, do they want to be with each other? If they could pick one person to go out with for an evening, would they prefer each other as their first choice? I'm asking, do they like each other?
If they have lived together for five and 10 and 15 years and, and the gravitational pull toward each other is not happening, that they have now they're living in a parallel, a parallel community where, where they're not assimilating to each other, but they're like two silos because sin has come between them and it's dividing them. Well, that is a problem because if they can't live in a long-term relationship with each other, they can't build long-term relationships in the local church because local churches are messy. And if they can't resolve their own conflict with each other, then they can intellectually teach people what to do. But there's going to be something obviously or at least sensed that's going to be missing. You might not be able to put your finger on it because that teaching sounded so good, but there is something missing here. Talking about the husband and wife, the pastor and wife, when they look at each other, you perceive warm affection between them. They are quick to repent after they offend each other because it grieves them when they offend each other. They think of their spouse at random times during the day. This is the kind of couple that you want leading you, the pastor and his wife, modeling the very thing that you want this community to be. Sometimes uh, what you could have, and this is not a bad thing, you could have average but exceptional. And what I mean by that is the preaching is just average. My preachers ain't much. He's just an average preacher. But the pastor and his wife are exceptional in private and also in personal community. He's not the greatest preacher in the world, whoever that is to you, whoever it is that you listen to on the internet. My pastor's not that person, but I know that him and his wife, they actually like each other. When they get to go out on an evening and pick somebody to go with them, they pick each other. Their average preacher's average, but exceptional as far as community. And if that's true, the church's culture has the best chance to mature. They can enjoy true, authentic, repenting community unity. And then on the other side, you have exceptional, but average. This is the person who teaches wonderfully well. This is the sermon that you actually send to your friend. <laughs> you don't send your pastor's sermon to your friend because he is average but is exceptional in community. But the preacher who is exceptional in preaching but average, he teaches wonderfully well. He exegetes a text like nobody's business. He is dynamic. He's winsome. He's charismatic. He's theologically precise. And he has a following. But suppose his marriage is not a maturing version of what I have described here. Well, in that case, your church cannot have an overall koinonia culture or even a trajectory that leads to that kind of gospel-centered living. Now, of course, within that body, there could be outliers in your church who will mature despite the leadership, but they will not be the majority report. And the congregation as a whole will not rise above what the leadership models. Now, of course, you could have a third category. You have average preacher, exceptional community. You have exceptional preacher and average community. You may be one of the lucky ones 
you have exceptional preacher and does exceptional community well. Okay, congratulations. You you have you have won the prize. And I don't mean that cynically or sarcastically. I rejoice with you. And so a lady wrote in and she said that my my church is it doesn't do community well and I am struggling. How would I think about that? Well, as I mentioned at the beginning, there are there are a dozen different ways to approach this. And so this is not an exhaustive treatment on a church that doesn't do community well. But I talked about one of the most important aspects of that, and that is the people who are on point, the pastor and his wife, that they are emulating the very thing that the church should be, doing community well. And so if you're in this place, you have four options. Number one, go to your leadership. Lay out your concerns and collaborate with them on bringing practical, dynamic, communal change to your church. Number two, accept the community culture of your church as it is while modeling the gospel as outlined here, resigning that you may always be an outlier. Do not be part of the problem. Regardless of what your church does is, be part of the solution. You can collaborate, and if that's not working, then just be that outlier and, and imitate Christ where others can follow you. If you're married, you and your spouse, as you all follow God. So number two, accept it as is and be that outlier. Number three, maybe ask God to lead you to a pastor and his wife who do get the gospel in more than great preaching only. They are exemplars of what it means to live out the gospel practically. Maybe that is a choice. That is a big deal. I'm just saying it. I'm not recommending it per se. There are things that you need to work through. We have resources on our site, for example, how to leave a church. We have many more resources on how to do community well in small groups, in local church, within families. And so, again, this is just one treatment of it, not an exhaustive treatment. And so, number one, go to your pastors and collaborate with them to help bring change. Number two, resign yourself to this is how it is, but be that outlier. You make a difference. Number three, maybe, possibly go to another church. Careful here. Be very careful. And then number four, there's no place for self-righteousness. There's no place of elevation, self-righteousness, looking down on others. You cannot sin against your church. You cannot sin against your church leadership. You must not grumble. You must not complain. You must not do any divisive sin that makes things worse than they are. If you want to read these show notes, it's episode 446. My church doesn't do community well, and I'm struggling. I am responding to an emailer who, who asked this question. I trust this is beneficial for you. I would encourage you to, to go out throughout our coffee shop, lifeovercoffee.com, type community in. You can type the word relationship, the word leadership. Those three words will get you scores and scores of information. We have a stocked, a fully stocked coffee shop, and you'll get a lot of help in addition to this episode 446. Thank you so much, and God bless. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com. 